Hey, whether you're online or in person, we're glad you are here too. Uh, there is something that God has been doing in this series. And today as we look at what does it mean to seek shalom together, to be his church, to be his people, we're going to be really kind of reminded on the front end of who we are as a church and then diving into his word together. So Father, we thank you uh, for being with us today. We thank you that your peace, your presence, your wholeness is what we're longing for. And it's here and it's available through your son, Jesus. Father, bless this time as we get into your word. I pray that it would come alive. That we would see you and see even our lives in a different way. Because of who you are and who you are are calling us to be. May we be wholly yours. Because you are holy. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, so our vision as a church is to be the church. God made this clear about a year, year and a half ago to our leadership. And as we look at that, what does it mean to be restoring and raising up and reaching out? It's this reminder that God loves us. He loves you and he wants to restore your life. He wants to take all of the things that you've been through, pour into you, heal you, make you whole, make you who he wants you to be. As he does that, he raises us up to new levels and new heights. Anybody attest to that? I mean, God takes us from where we were. He meets us there, but he raises us up to new places. And as he does that, he calls us to reach out and to release the same blessing into the world around us. That's who our God is. It's what he has for us. And today we look at what does it mean for us to be wholly his. In Jeremiah 29, there's a few verses. We'll be, over the next few weeks, looking at these through different angles. And uh, this picks up today, we're going to look at verse 4 through 7. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of is all Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses. Notice what he says for them to do. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare. That's the word shalom in the Hebrew. But seek the welfare, the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, its shalom, you will find your welfare or your shalom. If you're taking notes today, God uses life to bring our broken pieces into his peace. You see, what God was saying to them is, listen, you're on a journey and you're in a place and in a space you didn't expect to be. But in that very place, as life happens to you, as you go through things, as you build gardens or build houses, plant gardens, have children, life is going to happen. And as it does, I want you to be a people that are allowing life in those broken pieces of our life to come into his hands, into his care, and to actually experience his peace. That's what the welfare or the shalom means. Can you imagine being them? Like being a people that are hearing that actually your day-to-day life is going to be difficult. Like you're going to be in exile if you read on for 70 years. You're going to be in an impressive environment and challenged in your faith But as you do that, I'm going to use it. 
That I'm going to use all of the circumstances, all of the things that you face, all of the challenges that you go through to actually build you as the people of God to be mine, to be whole, to be marked by my shalom. Church, it is so much bigger than coming together on a Sunday morning. Can I get an amen? It is so much bigger when we begin to understand that God wants to show up in all of life. And where all of life has shown up in your world in ways that you didn't invite it, you didn't ask it, and you didn't want it. Anybody? Right? God says, I see you. I love you. Follow me. Trust me. And I'll begin as you live your life for me to actually piece you back together. That's actually within the vision of the church under the word restoring. We talk about being a hospital. That, That we actually believe God wants us to be a hospital and a home and also an aircraft carrier, not a cruise ship. Sorry, y'all. Right? He wants this to be a place where all of who we are, all of the things that we've gone through, the broken pieces of what life has done to us, can humbly come before him and can experience his healing touch, his peace that pieces us back together. Amen? I don't often endorse books or movies from the pulpit. Uh, there's probably been a handful of times in 20 years of, of preaching that I've, that I've actually done that. And uh, I do want to tell you that there is a movie you've probably heard about, because it, I think a few days ago it was number three in the nation, The Jesus Revolution. And... I want to encourage you in the next week or so, go see it. Our youth group is going to see it tonight. Um, Let them get the seats ahead of you, okay? Like, to be clear, it's their night, and if there's room, you can go, right? But both theaters, I believe, in town are still carrying it. I just want to encourage you to see it, and I want to show you a short clip from it that actually reveals, I believe, some of what we're talking about, that the heart of God is that all of our broken pieces would be put together and made wholly his. Can you say that phrase for a minute? That's the title of today's message. We are wholly his. We are wholly his. Watch this clip. Are the storms in your life raging? Return to God. Stop running. And when you do... The raging in your life will just stop like it didn't mind. Yolani Frisbee was a very, very complex human being. He was a brilliant, gifted, spiritually powerful man, but he had a lot of wounds. In his own words, he was pretty damaged from a very early age in his life, and those wounds affected him for the rest of his life. And so his humanity leaked out of him every step of the way. I spent a real long time in the gutter with my own addictions. And if God can heal me, he can heal anyone. God can use anybody he wants, no matter how fractured or broken or flawed, and create miracles from the most unexpected sources. You don't have to be perfect to introduce people to Jesus.
That's because you don't have to run anymore. I love that last line, amen? That God says we don't have to run anymore. We can bring all of it to him. And that he wants to do something with it. He wants to make us wholly his. Turn with me in, in your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to look at a, a snapshot of this in chapter 17 of the book of Acts. And as we look at it, we're going to see that there was a man named Saul who would be converted by the Lord and would be renamed Paul. Paul was somebody who came to the table with a lot of brokenness, a lot of wounds. I'm projecting this on, but if you read later, you learn that Paul actually had been through a lot and had actually persecuted the very church because of the very Jesus that he so boldly would serve now. There was a lot of reasons that Saul could have maybe ran away from God when he had to face his own brokenness, his own reality, that he had done some things against Jesus and against the church of Jesus Christ, that now Jesus was saying, if you quit running, if, if you will quit fighting me, I want to do something new in and through your life. And, and God used Paul in a mighty way. Paul had encountered Jesus and realized that he was fighting against the wrong person. If you're taking notes, I am is holy, and we are to be holy his. I am is holy. He is holy other. He shows up in the middle of our lives, in the middle of a fallen world, and he is holy. That is something that we don't talk about enough in this generation. That God is perfect and holy. And because he had had an encounter, Saul became Paul because he had an encounter with the Holy One, and he fully surrendered and submitted and became wholly his. And because he was wholly his, God began using him in a powerful way within the world he lived. And this is the reminder that, again, it's not just about a church service, that this is actually to raise us up and to equip us to go out and to be a people that are wholly his and that live and call for a life of holiness in our world. That actually all of life is meant to be wholly his. So Paul begins living that. And as we jump into verse 16, we pick up. It says, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens... His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoke philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Like they were a little sarcastic and making fun of Paul. Can you see this? Like, you and I need a little bit thicker skin. Fair? They were saying this about Paul. What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athians and the foreigners, 
or Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. They liked gossip, y'all. And here's Paul showing up in the middle of it. He's holy gods, and he's saying, hey, there's some idols that have provoked me and disturbed me that that have caused me to want to, to declare to you who God really is. And I don't know about you, but like when I look around in our world right now, there is a lot of idols and issues all around us. And God calls us to be holy his, holy other, to be in the world, but not of it. A.W. Tozer said this about Christians, those that are holy his. He said a real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love for one he has never seen, talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see, expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, empties himself in order to be full, admits he is wrong so he can be declared right, goes down in order to get up, is strongest when he is weakest, richest when he is poorest, and happiest when he feels worse. He dies so he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passes knowledge. Come on, church. I mean, we are called to be holy his and holy other. And in all of that, here's Paul in the middle of this place saying, I'm disturbed and provoked by the idols around me. And, and I think like when we get honest with ourselves, I've got some Tupperware here and we'll see how I do with a handheld. But you've got uh, the reality that, you know, a lot of these sets, there's another layer inside, Right. You've got a whole nother layer inside, and you begin to open that up, and God begins to open us up and say, hey, you you think you're holy mine, but I want to dig down deeper. I want to begin to look at areas of your life that have become idols, things that you're serving that aren't me. And, And he begins to help us to see that there's these Areas that are a little bit deeper, maybe under the surface, things that we've left unaddressed, things that we've compartmentalized, things that we have said, no, God, you've got me, but you don't have this. You don't have this area of me. (laughs) I I got that. And when you think about that idea, I just wonder, like, are there any idols in your life. Maybe it's something you've been through that's been in the past that you've held on to that you can't bring before the Lord. And God's saying, bring that broken piece. Bring that idol. You've served this. You've, you, you've allowed this to shape you into something that isn't who I want you to be in the next season. Bring it to me. And, and these aren't necessarily like, some of you are sitting here and you're like, man, this pastor's crazy. I don't have any statues in my house. I don't have any idols or things, but we're not talking necessarily. I mean, that's a real thing, right? It could be that you have statues and idols and things from other religions in your home. But all of us likely have some kind of thing that we're serving and worshiping ahead of Jesus. It might be holding on to a wound that needs healing. It might be holding on to an area like our finances. 
you know I'm a very honest, and I try to be as real as I can be. Amen? The Lord started showing me about a month ago, six weeks ago actually, that, that I, th- I thought I was wholly his and wholly trusting him with every area. And God's like, no, you don't trust me with your personal finances. You keep trying to figure it out and control it. That's mine right now that God has to, to, to call me to a higher level of trust even when I see within that piece of my life things that I don't like, things that I don't, you know, it's, I, I, want, I want it to be different. But God's saying, I want you to trust me. You see, so much of it, to be wholly his, is trusting the sovereignty of God. Having faith in who he is and his character, that, that he's holy, that he's good, that he's able, that he's never going to forsake us, never leave us, never let us down, that he is worthy of all of our life, all of our trust, and that we can be safe and secure and wholly his. Our God is worthy of our worship, church. And as these things begin to move in our life, there's things in our culture that should disturb us. There's things that that we should be willing to step into and say, that's not right. And I just want to like lay, lay one of those before you that, you know, we get questions of like, why would you do an egg drop event? Okay. Anybody wondering that in the room? I mean, we, we'll get questions like that because, let's be clear, Easter is about the resurrection. Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we actually should have something in us that disturbs us if it's about anything else. So what we'll see in a minute is Paul was so disturbed as he walked into the conversation, he points to an idol and he reframes it to help them see who Jesus is. So we will do an egg drop event in order to get people onto our property and in hopefully to the presence of God to hear about Jesus and who he really is, to say, you thought it was this, but we're telling you it's this. You thought it was about the bunnies and the candy and the helicopter and all of that, but it's actually about Jesus who has a better plan for your life than you have for yourself. And so as we do that, I want to encourage you to be a part of it. QR code time. Right? We could, we'd love your help with volunteering and donating and being a part of this event. I shared this last week, honestly, because of our generous sponsors. Uh, if you really feel led to give financially, we'll probably put it towards candy and water because uh, the rest of the event at this point, God has been so good and most of it is covered. We just need manpower, and here's what God has laid on our heart, because our staff literally said, God, do we do this again? We, you need to know, like, we aren't doing this just to do it. We literally asked the question, Lord, do you want us to do this again? And if so, why? And God has led us this year to focus solidly on his presence, on names and not numbers. That's the heart this year, is God's presence being here And not on the name, not on the numbers or the amounts of people, but on names that need to know the name of Jesus. So I just want to invite you to be a part of that and to see how like these are moments where God shows us how to show up in our world. Paul does this picking up in verse 22. 
It says, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, he made from one man every nation, say every nation, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries, say boundaries, of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, and I love this, He's pointed out an idol. He's reframed it for them to begin to see who Jesus is. Now he quotes one of their poets. Like he's actually quoting, think about this, like your favorite band, your favorite lyric, whatever that is. He's quoting something to help build a bridge so they can hear the truth of Jesus, not just what they're hearing in their culture. Amen? He says, even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people, say all people, all people, that's the heart of God, all people, all nations at the foot of the cross, That's what Jesus is all about. All people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. It's amazing to look at. He is redefining an idol. He's redefining their very identity. He's redefining who they're called to be. He's saying that God is close to them and that if we'll reach out, he's there and we're to live and move and have our being, our very breath in him to be wholly his. Can you read that with me? When we are wholly his, when, here we go on three. <laughs> When we are wholly his, Jesus redefines our identity issues. And I'll tell you right there, we live in a day and time where there are some significant identity issues in our world. There are significant identity issues. And what Paul is saying to them is, listen, you think your identity is this. Let me show you how Jesus wants to rename you, reclaim you, recreate you, renew you, rena- and make you who he's meant you to be. Because you didn't choose, and I didn't choose, the day and time we live in, but we get to choose who we follow and who we actually allow to identify us and name us. There's four identity issues that Paul I- identifies here that we all have. They come out of verse 26. In verse 26, he talks about the who, the what, the where, and the when. Remember writing an English essay back in the day? 
And, and what's interesting is Paul is allowing them to see that, listen, all of us have these four things that none of us chose. You didn't choose who you were born into or what family of origin you have. Come on, church. You didn't. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God even in the face of maybe a family that isn't what you had hoped for or would have asked for, that he meets you in that. The, the what, right? He said one man from every nation. From one man, every nation, one blood has spread throughout the entire world. What does this mean? None of us chose what we were born, at, born as ethnically or economically. Sorry, you didn't choose it. God did. And so actually, it's interesting that that Acts is actually written by a guy named Luke. And Luke, if you read in the beginning of Luke 1 and Acts 1, gives a shout out to a man named Theopolis. Theopolis was a governor that likely financed Luke's work. Meaning that haves and have-nots are meant to dwell in unity that regardless of what we were born as or into, God wants to use us. Amen? You didn't choose where you were born. I was born in Battle Creek, Michigan, the serial city. Okay? Two years of my life were there. The rest was in the thumb of Michigan. I didn't get to make any of those choices. Truthfully, I don't even feel like I chose Vero Beach. God kind of chose it for me. Okay? I'm really glad to be here. We're in paradise. I love it, but none of us choose who, what, where. We don't even choose when we're alive. That God says these are the times and the seasons, and these are the places and where I've put you. And and what does all that mean? It means, one, we should be very humble. Like, it's a pride check when you begin to realize, like, You actually didn't choose those four things. God chose them for you. And that means that your neighbor, that maybe you've judged on those four things, that they didn't choose them either. And so what does that mean? It means we should look at each other through eyes like Jesus's of love. This is what Paul is calling them to, is to say, listen, God is the one, when you're holy, his, he redefines you. He deals with these things in ways that nobody else can deal with. Time, space, and seasons are all his when we're holy, his. As you heard an announcement today about the church and the school, who is the one who is identifying and saying this is the time? Our boards have discerned what we believe is God's will. So so what does that mean? It means that God wants to change the boundaries in this season. He wants to change the limits. He wants things to grow and to reflect his heart. And if we're wholly his, we are going to allow him by faith to do what he wants to do in this season. Amen? It's for such a time as this. And often what's happening in our lives, it's us fighting God's grace and us fighting what God is trying to do and show us. 
There's actually a moment in 2 Corinthians 10 where Paul really speaks into this in a powerful way. And, and it, it talks about the, the grace that we need to have as people that have been marked by God and are wholly His. A supernatural grace to fulfill and to be who He's called us to be as His people. Here's what it, he says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 13. He says, But we will not boast beyond limits but will boast only with regard to the area of influence that God has assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves. Anybody else feel a little tired, a little fatigued, a little like you've overextended yourself? Anybody? I mean, here's your call out. Like, come back to Jesus, because that may not be him. Right? Sometimes we start doing things instead of saying, God, what are you doing? He says, not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast, say boast. We do not boast beyond limit in the labor of others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, this is so important here, that we realize that in times and spaces and seasons, God wants to grow our faith as we're wholly his. He says, as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in what? The Lord. The Lord. It's all about him and his glory. For it is the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. That is what we're about. That's who we want to be, is to be wholly his. To say, God, as you change borders, as you reach and grow us, as our faith increases, and this isn't just for the church, this is for your life. That God's saying, I I want you to grow with me as your holy mind. I'm going to increase your faith. I'm going to use you in new ways to impact the world. So we begin to shift our focus from what the world is saying about us to what he is saying about us. And that's the great invitation. At the last bit of Acts 17, I want to show you their response in verse 32 through 34. It says, now then, they heard of the resurrection of the dead. Some mocked. Say some mocked. Okay, not everybody's going to react the way we would like. What did I say earlier? Get some thick skin. Soft heart, thick skin and soft heart, because even Paul faced it. Some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. And among them also were, I'm going to do my best here, all right, you ready? Uh, Dionysus, the Areopagite, (laughs) I didn't do that right, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So, So if you're taking notes, when you are wholly his, Jesus is grace is an invitation to an adventure and our assignment in life. You you see, there were some of them that mocked. There were some of them that said, hey, we want to hear more. And there were others that said, yes, I hear the invitation of Jesus. I hear his invitation, and he's inviting me to an adventure. He's inviting me to the assignment that he has in this season because God chooses to use you and I to be wholly his and to follow him. In every generation, he looks for a people that will hunger and thirst for him. 
that will humbly come to him and say, I'm wholly yours. And there's this invitation that God is offering each of us to an adventure. God has plans for your life, the life of our church, the life of your family, the life of our community that we cannot even imagine. Scripture talks about this, that he has so much more. And and so when we are wholly his, the question becomes, can we hear his invitation to say, okay, there's some idols in your life that I want to deal with. There's some pain or some brokenness that I I want to heal. There's some wounds that I want to to shore up. There's some ways that I want to fill you with my love. There's some things I want to do with my grace so I can use you and release you into your assignment and what I have for you. I believe God is calling a generation right now to awaken and to follow him, to wholly be his. Church, I want nothing more than for our ministry to be a part of God's movement in this generation. I am hungry and thirsting for him. He has all year been showing me how holy he is and how much I need to be consecrated, set apart to be his, to be holy his. And I believe it's an invitation to all of us that God is offering to say there's an adventure Will you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you be wholly surrendered and let me do what I want to do? In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, it's this reminder of the invitation, right? It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. That gift is an invitation, not a result of works that, so that no one may boast, It's all about Jesus. It's all about the gift of his grace. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship. Say workmanship. That word can also be translated masterpiece. That that actually you and I, when we come into a relationship with Jesus and receive his grace, he says, you're my masterpiece. You're my workmanship. And then we begin to realize that says, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God, or which God prepared beforehand that we would walk into them. An invitation to walk into this adventure with Jesus and the assignment, the good works that he prepared in advance. Part of the adventure is we don't know exactly what it's going to look like until we take the next step of faith with Jesus. So let me ask you a few next step questions today. First, are you wholly his? Like, let that sit there for a minute. Are you wholly his? Are you trusting him, surrendering to him, submitting to him and and his will and what he is asking? Are you wholly his? Secondly, how do you need Jesus to redefine your identity issues today? Maybe it's God showing you and humbling you to see you didn't choose your who, what, where, and when. And neither did your neighbor. And God is saying, I want you to to walk in a new love that I have for you and the others around you. That I want you to help them see the idols in culture in the way that things right now are trying to rename a generation in ways that are twisted, confused, and based on lies and not truth. Come on, church. 
Thirdly, will you receive Jesus' grace and invitation today? He's inviting us to trust him, to wash over us in new ways. And we want to be wholly his because he's holy and he wants to use us in this generation in new ways. So I'm going to just pray over us. The team is going to lead us in, uh, actually not to a time of worship right now. They want to, they're going to sing a song that just gives us space to reflect, to really listen and hear from the Lord. And then we're going to go into a time of communion after that. So this space is wholly his. Let's let the Lord do his work. Amen. Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you that there is an invitation to this adventure with you, to an abundant life, that you call us from death to life, that you call us from idols to a new identity. Jesus, I just pray that we would come to you with open hands, open hearts, and open minds. Holy Spirit, you're here. Speak to us. Call us to be wholly yours. We acknowledge and confess that you are holy. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of us following you in this generation. So I pray, Lord, that we could hear the invitation and we could trust you and be the masterpieces you've created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.